And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. As Pastor Dan said, my name is Allison. If I've not gotten the chance to meet you yet, I would love to do so today. I'm so happy to see all of you in the room this morning. Um, I'm the kids director here at Hope Culture Church. So if I haven't met you, it's likely because I've been down with our kids. Um, Before we start, I want to give a shout out to my kids crew who are holding it down, down there today so I can be with you guys. I see so many of you in the room too, and I'm just really grateful for you. Um, As you heard Pastor Dan say, our mission here at Hope Culture Church is to help people find hope and take their next step in following Jesus. And we further that in Hope Culture Kids by raising up the next generation of spirit-filled believers. That's our goal in Hope Culture Kids. That's our mission every Sunday for our kids in that wing. Um, And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today is raising up the next generation of spirit-filled believers. But before I do that, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that it's yours. I thank you that this message is yours, that these babies that we're about to dedicate this morning, God, that they are yours. God, I thank you for the next generation um, that's growing up in this day and age. God, I thank you that you foresaw them and foreknew them um, and that you have a plan for them. God, I pray that you would just bless these words this morning, that they would speak to every person in the room, um, and that we would just bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my husband Stephen and I, we've been married for a little over eight years, and we have three kids. Benjamin is seven, Luke is five, and Gemma will be one at the end of the month. Um, So we we have a little bit of parenting under our belts. We're not pros yet. We're still in the trial and error stage in many ways. Um, But I promise this is not a parenting message this morning. So if you are not a parent or you don't have young kids anymore, don't tune me out. This is for everybody in the room. Um, I grew up, I've always grown up around kids. My mom did a home daycare for 20 years in our home. We had kids all over the place. I have three younger siblings. I started babysitting when I was nine, which sounds absolutely wild to me. Now having kids of my own, there's, sorry, nine-year-olds, I'm not going to let you watch my kids if I'm not there. Um, I started serving in children's ministry when I was in junior high, and I've just never really gotten out of it. I've always found myself in a space of ministering to kids or to youth and to the next generation. Um, I wanted to be a school teacher all growing up until my freshman year of college when I decided maybe that wasn't quite where I wanted to be. Uh, I've just always had a heart for kids. That hasn't wavered as I've gotten older. Maybe the arena has changed a little bit. Um, But my prayer and my heart for the next generation is that they would be on fire for the Lord, that they would know who they are in Him, that they would walk in their true identity and in their God-given callings. For some of you in the room, I may be the next generation. I may be looking to you to see how you raised your kids or how you're walking with Jesus in the next stage of life and what that looks like. You have a next generation that you are still reaching even if you don't have young kids in your home. And for others, a few of you in the room, you are my next generation. You are the ones that are looking to me and to my peers to figure out how do we do this? What does it look like to follow God in this day? Um, How can he guide our steps as we grow? Um, So there is something for each of us in the room. I believe that this message will be applicable to everyone in here today. 
Before I jump into how we can reach the next generation um, and usher them into a relationship with God, I want to take a look at what God says about generations. So um, we know that he cares about generations. The Old Testament and New Testament are like are chock full of genealogies, which are those names at the beginning of numbers that you skip every time your Bible reading plan takes you there. You're like, oh, who needs that? Who are those people? We don't. Those are important. God put those there for a reason. He cares about the people in those lists. Um, so God cares about generations. And as early as Genesis, we see God making promises not only to the people of that day, but for all of the generations that would follow. In Genesis 9, God is talking to Noah after the earth has been flooded. They've lost every person they've known. They're the only people left on earth are the people in that boat and the animals they brought with them. Um, the earth has been flooded for 150 days and the water finally subsides. And God says, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. He's not just promising to Noah and his family, but for every generation to come after them. In Genesis 17, we see God make a promise to Abraham. Genesis 17, 7 says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. When God makes a promise in the Bible, he goes big. He doesn't just say, this is for you. This is only for you. I have this for you. I'm going to be with you, which he does. He makes those promises and he lives up to them. But he says, I'm going to be your God and the God to every generation after you. I promise I will never flood your earth again or the earth of all of the generations after you. He promised to Noah's grandchildren and Abraham's grandchildren and great-grandchildren as far as you can go. And that extends, those promises are eternal and they extend to us today. We've been in the book of Exodus for many weeks now. Um, if you'll remember back in the beginning, in Exodus 3, God calls to Moses from a burning bush and says, go set my people free. And Moses says, well, who should I tell them has sent me? Whose authority should I go on? Um, like, what, what business do I have going to set your people free? And God says, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We see God introduce himself as the God of generations, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He references the generations that have come before because the Israelites knew who God was. It was the God that their fathers had served that their grandfathers had served and their great-grandfathers, and he had been who he'd promised to be to all those previous generations. These are just a few of the many examples throughout the Bible where God references and promises things to generations. But why is this important? Why does that matter to us? What are we supposed to do with that other than simply just bask in the promises that we've received because of that, because we are the next generations and because he is good? Well, Psalm 78 instructs us to tell the coming generations of what the Lord has done. It's a long chapter. There's 72 verses, but if you get a chance this week, I'd encourage you to read through them because throughout the chapter, the psalmist recounts the ways that generations have rebelled against God, the way that they've fallen short of what, they've, what he's called them to do, whether they've directly sinned in the face of God asking them to go do things or to be a certain way. 
but it reminds us of how he continuously showed them mercy and protection and provision in spite of their rebellion. It wasn't because they had lived up to the things that he'd asked them to do, but it's because of who he, who he is and because of the way that he's loved his people um, that he responded in that way. In Psalm 78, two through four, it says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We are to tell the coming generation of all that the Lord has done. In verses 5 through 8, it continues. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should see their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The first way that we can raise up the next generation is to talk about it. Our society spends a lot of time talking about generations, Currently, we have uh, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, bonus points for anyone who knows the current generation, Gen Alpha, I've heard it referred to as the Forrest Gump generation, Gen A, if you didn't get it, you're probably part of them, so... (laughs) I'm part of the millennial generation. Uh, We're sort of a hybrid. So we remember the times of dial-up internet, um, of landline phones, someone hopping on the phone and interrupting your instant messenger chat. Some of us still have landline phones. That's amazing. I'm going to bring my kids to your house so they can see what a landline phone is. Uh, We remember having to rewind the VHS tapes before we took them back to the library or to Blockbuster. If you've ever been on the phone with Blockbuster, you might be a part of the millennial generation or older. Uh, But we also grew up right along with the emergence of social media. We may remember our first Google search. Um, My first foray into the world of social media was MySpace. Tom was my first friend, as he may have been many of yours. But that quickly gave way to Facebook and Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Threads is the newest one. Uh, Some of you have never heard of Threads. And if you're like me, like, I will not download and learn another social media app. I'm not doing it. Um, But each generation after mine is growing up in a tech-heavy world, right? And it changes the way they see things, the way that they grow up. Um, I was driving with my boys the other day, and my seven-year-old Ben from the backseat says, hey, mom, you know what my dream in life is? And I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. I can't wait. I said, what is your dream in life? And he said, to have my own YouTube channel. And I was like, okay. And something you need to know about my boys is they're very into trick shots right now. So they love to see people flip water bottles, half-full water bottles, and land them a certain way. That's like their thing. They like to see the sports shots, but they like the water bottles and the ping pong balls bouncing in. I don't know. That's their thing right now. And Ben says, when I grow up and have kids, uh, they're going to do bottle flips and I'm going to film it and put it on my YouTube channel. And his five-year-old brother sitting next to him who wants to do exactly what his brother's going to do, he said, yeah, well, I cook dinner. My kids are going to do bottle flips. And if they mess up, they're going to sit time out. (laughs) 
So we're very much in that trial and error stage still, figuring out what works and what doesn't. Um, but social media has changed the way that our kids are growing up, the aspirations that they have. Um, technology has given us the ability to be more connected than ever. I'm so thankful to be able to FaceTime my family who lives three hours away. They can watch my kids grow up, even for as little as we get to see them in person. Um, but as much as it has given us the ability to be connected, it has also made many of the generations coming up feel more isolated than ever before. Um, we're able to keep tabs on everybody and everything that they're doing. We can track our friends. We know when they're hanging out without us. We can see when the neighbors bought a new house or a new car. Um, and we compare our everyday moments to their highlight reels, and it can make us feel a certain kind of way. There's always something more to do, to obtain, to achieve, and to become. And this is just the effect that social media alone plays in our kids' lives and in our lives. That's not to mention the current cultural and political climates that they're growing up in. Um, and it's no wonder when we think about these things that we hear that the upcoming generations are experiencing higher rates of depression and anxiety and suicide than ever before. They're growing up in a different world than we did, um, than many of you did, and it's changing rapidly every day, right? But it does seem that every time we pass the baton to the next generation, we compare the two, right? So the younger generation feels like we don't get it, like we're living by archaic values that just don't apply anymore. And the older generation feels like, well, you don't appreciate the roads that we paved and the way things have always been done and the way that they've always worked before. Um, we talk about how the world is an increasingly challenging place to grow up. We as parents and teachers and aunts and uncles and neighbors, we worry about how to protect our kids from the evils and injustices that we see, the ones that have always been here and the ones that are quickly emerging every day. But what if instead of talking about the upcoming generations in terms of what they're up against, warning them of the hard things that lay ahead, we start painting their schools and their workplaces and their neighborhoods as mission fields. What if we set up the next generation to be on mission wherever they're at? What if we raise them up to know the word of God from a young age? What if they enter kindergarten with a strong sense of who they are in God? What if the rising rates of depression and anxiety and hopelessness were presented as opportunities for our kids to shine light into dark places? We can make, up a, we can make a choice to raise up the next generation, telling them the truths of who God says that they are. We raise them up to hear the voice of God. Hope Culture Kids is not a babysitting service. We're not there just to provide childcare on a Sunday so that you all can be in here with minimal distractions. Our kids are learning scripture every week. They're memorizing it. They're coming back and telling us what they've learned. They're learning what it looks like to worship, to pray for themselves and for each other. And they're being encouraged by our Hope Culture Kids volunteers every time they walk through those doors. Um, in Mark 10, Jesus is preaching to crowds of people, right? People are coming from everywhere to see him. He's conversing with Pharisees and with his disciples. And Mark 10, 13 through 6 says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, 
Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And if you just think of that picture for a minute, Jesus just wrapping those babies in his arms, like forget the Pharisees, forget my disciples for a minute, forget all of you that came, you're important and I'll be with you, but the kingdom belongs to these little ones too. And the disciples saw them as a distraction from greater things. You know, they're on mission. They're like, Jesus, all these people came to talk to you. You've got stuff to do. And these kids are just everywhere. They're in the way. You know, I'm sure the kids were not waiting in single file lines to talk to Jesus. They're running and screaming and crying. Um, but Jesus makes it very clear that children are not second class citizens. Right? The kingdom belongs to them just as much as it does to any of us in this room. Um, there is no junior Holy Spirit, as we've said before. It's the same Holy Spirit. Um, they are just as capable of hearing God and talking to God and knowing him as we are. And Jesus says that if we don't come to him like a child, we won't even receive his kingdom, right? We won't enter it. And we have so much that we can learn from the next generation about coming to God with a pure and sincere faith, when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents brought him back to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And after the feast, they get all packed up to return home. They load up their animals, all their belongings. And his parents get about a day, a whole day into their journey before they realize Jesus isn't with us. Have you seen Jesus? They go to their friends and family. Have you seen him? Have you seen our 12-year-old? And parents, if you've ever... Uh, lost your kids or forgotten to pick them up from a sports practice. Maybe you drove home from church and realized, I thought you were taking the kids. Well, I thought you were bringing them home. Mary and Joseph did it too. And guys, if your parents have ever left you somewhere, it happened to Jesus too. So we're, we're in good company. But they searched with him for a while among their friends and family. And finally, they decided, let's go back to Jerusalem and see if he's there. And in Luke 2, 46 through 49, it says, After three days, they were missing their 12-year-old. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw, that, saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Why have you done this to us? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or some translations say that I must be about my father's business. Jesus almost rebukes his own parents. Like, well, where else would I be? What took you so long to come look here? And at 12 years old, he was so engrossed in the teachings in the temple that he hung around for a whole three days after his parents had departed. Our kids are capable of being about our father's business. And while we can learn so much from them, we also have so much we can teach them, either from the many lessons we've learned in years of walking with him, or especially so in the years we've spent walking apart from him. We have something to teach the coming generation. And the next generation needs the people closest to, closest to them, encouraging them in the things that they can be, and the people that they can become, and the things that they can do because of Christ in them. We can tell them of the ways that God has transformed us from the inside out and show them how to live a life following him, allowing him to do the same and greater works in and through our kids that he's promised to do through us. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Just these few verses give us practical ways that we can talk to the next generation about God. Parents, we in Hope Culture Kids get one hour a week with your kids. If you're able to make it every week, that's only four hours a month that we get to spend with your kids. Uh, We want to come alongside you and empower you to be the spiritual leaders in your home, to be the spiritual leader for your kids. If your kids are grown and out of the house or you don't have kids of your own yet, these principles still apply to you. I'm sure you have kids in your sphere, whether it's the neighbor kid that runs to grab the wiffle ball out of your yard or a friend's child, a niece or a nephew. Um, These apply to you and you're called to do these things too. You can't love the Lord with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself and not care about the next generation. They have to matter to you even if you're not raising them in your own home. So a few practical ways that we can talk to the next generation about what God has done. Talk about it in your house. During meals, take a minute just to talk about where do we want to see God throughout our day? Where did you see him show up today? Maybe share a scripture that you read with them that day or something that's been on your mind. Um, Turn off the TV and just talk for a little bit. What is God doing in your life? Is there anything that you'd like to see him do? Can I tell you about what he did in my life today? Number two is talk about it when you walk by the way. Go for a walk or for a hike around your neighborhood and and just pray for the houses that you pass. If you know someone in the next generation lives there, pray for them. Pray for their parents that are raising them. Um, Thank God for the creation that surrounds you and just pray for the people close to you. Number three, talk about it when you lie down. In the moments before bedtime, I know those are some of the most chaotic in our house. Our kids want to talk at that time. They just don't want to talk about anything related to bedtime. Um, But this is a great day. Just ask them the highs and lows of their day. Something I started doing with our boys for a little while was, what was the best thing that happened today? And then we would thank God for that. We would thank him that he is the bringer and the giver of good things. And then I would say, what was something that was hard today? And we'd talk about it and say, well, how can we pray that God would show up in that area? Or how could we have leaned on God in that moment? Model it for them too. Share your highs and lows. Show them how you pray. Show them that you have struggles and wants and needs too that you need God for. Number four, talk about it when you rise. Pray for your kids as you wake them up. If they're not using their own alarm clock yet, you go in there and say, get out of bed, we gotta go, let's hurry. You know, like, I just think about how my mom would come in the room sometimes and start singing songs and I hated it, but it would like, it's in my mind today. You know, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? So we can show them that we start our day by giving praise to God. We can pray a blessing for them as they get ready. Maybe as you're driving to work, when you see the school bus pass, pray a blessing over those kids as they go to school that morning. Pray for their teachers. Pray for their administrators, that they would be lights to those kids. (laughs) Kelly says, yes, pray for us, please. Um, And number five is sing about it. One of the ways that I keep God in um, our daily lives, the easiest way for me is just by playing worship music 
as a background. Um, if we need a reset throughout the day, I'm going to turn on the worship music because likely mom needs a reset, and then that'll kind of bleed out to my kids. Um, so while I hear my seven-year-old say my dream in life is to have a YouTube channel, he also gets in the car and says, hey, will you turn on Set a Fire? I'm like, where did you hear that song? And I hear him singing things like, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. And I just pray that that would be the cry of his heart for all of the years to come. And it's just such a simple way just to bring God into our day is to have that be the background sounds um, throughout. So we must be consistent and diligent in pointing the next generation back to who God is. Tell them of who he is, of what he's done in your life. The next generation is in need of a hope that only God can give them. The next generation is in need of a hope that only God can give them. And we have the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to be the ones laying that foundation for them to experience him for themselves. So the first way that we raise them up is to talk about it. But please don't stop there. Please don't just talk about Jesus. The second way that we raise them up is to be about it. Right? right? We are going to be about our father's business. Are there any parents in the room who have ever said, do as I say, not as I do? <laughs> as I like sneak that little bit of chocolate before dinner or spend too much time on screens that day or leave my shoes in the middle of the hallway? I tell my kids to ignore my actions in that moment and just please do what I've told you to do, right? But in the next breath, I say things like, actions speak louder than words. We can't make empty promises. You have to follow through. And my kids get this one. They're very good at holding me accountable to what I have said that I will do. If I say, we'll do it tomorrow, you better believe first thing when I come down, they're asking me, what time are we doing this? You said we could do it tomorrow. And it's tomorrow. It's come. It's time. So I started using phrases like, we'll see, or maybe later. But I remember my mom saying, we'll see to my siblings and I, and we hated it. We were like, it means no. Just say no. If you mean it, just tell me no. Just say what you mean. Don't give us any kind of false hope. Kids remember when you've said that you'll do something, and they hold you to it. And they can smell hypocrisy and insincerity from a mile away. They notice when someone says the right things but doesn't back it up. And we as adults see that too, right? How many times have we encountered somebody, probably even a Christian, who says all the right things, but there's discrepancies between the things that they say and the way that they live their lives? And that's frustrating, right? Because we can't trust them. We can't believe that they are who they say that they are. How much more than is it confusing and frustrating for the next generation when they see the generation before them not living up to the things that they've said that they do, not living up to the things that God has commanded them to do, and then the expectations that we turn around and place on them to do the same. The younger generations are tired of fluff. They're looking for authenticity, and it seems like more than ever they're looking for that outside of the church. They want real, they want raw, they want true, and they've been disenfranchised with the people who make empty promises or act contrary to the values that they claim to possess. Some of us in the room grew up in a Christian home. We had parents who were strong examples of what it looks like to serve the Lord. They taught us the word of God. They lived it out before our eyes. 
Some of us grew up in a home with parents who called themselves Christians or claimed to be so, but we saw discrepancies in the ways that they lived and the, um, the things that they said. Others of us were raised in a home where there was no spiritual guidance. Maybe we still had great parents who loved us. There just wasn't any hint of God present. And yet others of us were raised in a home where there was no, no spiritual guidance. There was dysfunction. We saw dysfunctional marriages, dysfunctional parenting, uh, dysfunctional friendships. And there was no, like Christ wasn't there. You know, we didn't see him. We didn't have hope for the future. And regardless of what kind of home you grew up in, I'm sure that it shaped the choices that you made in regards to your faith. You made choices about your faith either because of or in spite of the people that you saw from the next generation. You chose to follow God because of the good example set. You chose not to follow God because you didn't see that it made any real difference in the people's lives that you were watching. I wonder if the people in your sphere would be surprised to find out that you're a Christian. Would your coworkers or neighbors have a hard time reconciling the words that you say with the actions um, that you live out, that you claim to be a follower of Jesus? Or would it be a light bulb moment? Would they say, oh, it makes sense. It makes sense why you're always so kind and so generous and why you had hope and peace in that situation when it didn't make any sense. Are you the same person on a Sunday morning that you are in the grocery store or in the board meeting or sitting in traffic or when it takes approximately 800 minutes for your kids to get their shoes on when you're already running late? I'm working on that one still. But the next generation is measuring us up to see how we withstand the pressures and the trials that we go through. They're measuring up the God that we serve, and they're deciding, do I want any part of what these people claim to have? And in James 1, 21 through 27, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Be about it, right? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their own face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting uh, what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faithful, or sorry, and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Man, there is so much in those few verses there, but the few I want to talk about are, in verse 22, it tells us to do what the word says. Don't just talk about it, be about it. We deceive ourselves and others around us when we give lip service to God's word, but we don't do what it says. When we just talk about it and don't do it, we deceive ourselves and others. And verse 27 tells us that the only religion that God will accept is to look after widows and orphans and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. That's an increasingly difficult task in this day and age. 
The world will jump at any chance to pollute our souls or pollute our kids any chance that it gets, whether it's in the things that they watch, the music that they listen to, the people, the celebrities that they follow. The enemy wants our souls to be polluted and to stay that way. He doesn't care how it happens. If he has to be sneaky, he'll find a way. You know, this can't be that bad, right? I'll just watch one more episode. It's not a big deal. But if it's as easy as just offering us low-hanging fruit that looks better to us than what God has to offer, that's how he's going to do it. We have a chance as the generation paving the way to live lives free of pollution, to watch what we take in and what we put out, to live lives set apart and to look different than the world around us. And we get to do so happily with a smile on our face. We don't have to walk around sad about what we don't get to do or how we didn't watch that show that everybody's talking about. But we get to show the generation coming up that we don't live restricted by a set of rules that binds, but that we walk in a freedom and covering of Christ and what he's done for us right? True freedom is living in his ways and doing what he's asked us to do, right? That's when we live truly free of sin and death. If you grew up in the church, we may have some common experiences. Uh, There's a good chance that you were taught that anything secular is bad. We only listen to Christian music in this house. You might have had to call your parents from a sleepover or two to ask, can I watch the movie that everyone else is watching? And if you're like me, you got picked up from a sleepover or two where you weren't allowed to do that. Um, Maybe you attended a harvest party on October 31st instead of being out with your friends. Um, Maybe you had a swear jar or had to wait to date until you were 16. Um, Maybe you were told what you could wear or what you absolutely could not wear. Um, And are all these things bad? No, they were likely put into place by people who loved us and wanted to keep us safe, right? But these arbitrary man-made set of rules are not what save our souls. On the flip side, in the current cultural climate, anything goes. The pendulum has swung so far the other way that everything is permissible and truth is whatever I say that it is. But make no mistake that we're to make it clear to the next generation and to the world that there is one way to salvation. Feeding them anything contrary to that is not love. And in fact, one of Jesus' harshest rebukes in the Bible comes as a warning to anyone who might deceive a child or lead them to sin. In Matthew 18, 6, it says, But whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. That's a pretty strong rebuke from Jesus, right? He cares about what our children are fed, right? He cares about how the next generation is brought up and are they, are they hearing my truth? Are they walking in the freedom that I freely offer to them? There is no other saving name apart from Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we can stand firm on that truth. We don't have to hand the next generation a list of rules to follow uh, to be in right standing with God. God has a standard of righteousness, certainly, and we are living our best lives when we are walking um, in congruency with that. Um, And we can promise the next generation that God's best for their lives is better than any counterfeit that the world offers. Anywhere else they look for authenticity and realness, it's going to fail them. 
Um, but we can also show them grace and speak life over them in the moments where they fall short, right? As parents, aunts, uncles, teachers, and friends, we know there will be times when we fall short, when we don't set the best example of upholding God's standard of righteousness. We won't always get it right. And parents, if you haven't messed up yet, you will. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. Um, and if you haven't yet, come tell me your secrets because I'd love to know. Um, but the way that we respond after we mess up is what matters, right? Did you know that you can apologize to your kids? And we should, right? We can set an example of what it looks like to fail them and then come and tell them how sorry we are. We can make every effort at repairing the relationship where it's been broken and tell of the ways that God has forgiven us in our shortcomings Ask them for their forgiveness, but model to them what true repentance looks like, right? We don't just come and say we're sorry and then do the same thing day after day after day because they're not going to believe us, right? I think of an own humbling experience in my house where I, and this happens more often than I'd like it to, my, my fuse is short, I'm overwhelmed, I'm touched out, and I yell at my kids. And I immediately feel bad about it. I immediately am sorry that I could not control my temper when I tell them to do the same. And I remember not too long ago coming to my seven-year-old and saying, Ben, I am so sorry. Mama got angry. She lost her temper, and that's not the way that I want to respond to you. Um, And I'm really sorry about it. I'm trying to do better. I'm working on doing better, but I'm really sorry for raising my voice. And he looked at me, and I expect this sweet moment of reconciliation. And he says, Mama, you said that to me before right? That's like a, a dagger to the heart. Like he sees it. He doesn't, he doesn't care the words that I'm telling him. He sees whether I'm living out my promises to him or not. No matter how great of a parent you are, there will come those moments that we fall short or that we can't maybe give our kids what they need in that season. And in those seasons, it's important that they have someone safe to turn to. I think of my own childhood and my mom who made it a priority for my siblings and me to be in church on a Sunday morning. Uh, Whether we wanted to go or not, whether we were tired from Saturday night, she didn't care. She was picking us up from the sleepover on a Sunday morning and driving us to church. She was making alternate arrangements for us to show up late to the soccer tournament so that we could be in church. God willing, my mom was going to have us in church on Sunday morning. And I think about how she led our family in that way, especially in the seasons, you know, eighth grade, I grew up in a Methodist church, so we did something called confirmation, and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do the the classes throughout the week that we had to do, but she didn't care. She was going to have me in church. Um, She instilled that foundation of faith for me early on when I was young, so that as I grew, that could become my own. And in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. To this day, I still think fondly of some of my Sunday school teachers that I had. As far back as fourth or fifth grade, I remember lessons that they taught us, specific lessons. I think of Mr. and Mrs. Boldman teaching us about the armor of God. And they cut out these intricately uh, cut little soldiers out of construction paper. And then aside from that, they 
cut out each little piece of armor and place them on that soldier so that we could learn about the armor of God. And they did that for each kid in our class. And I remember hanging it on my mirror in my bedroom, and that thing stayed there. I had to dust, dust it, dust around it. That was there for years, and I still remember it today. I think about how my mom's determination to get me through the doors of the church on a Sunday morning not only pointed me to Jesus, but fostered relationships with people in the church, with adults and peers alike that were there to support and lead in areas or seasons where maybe my parents weren't the first people I wanted to run to. They weren't the people I wanted to ask those big questions to or admit my own shortcomings to. Um, I had gotten to know the people in my faith community. I watched them growing up. I knew who walked the walk after they talked about it on Sunday. And I knew the people who didn't. And I knew who was safe to go to with those questions and concerns and struggles. And church, we get to be those safety nets for the next generation. You get to be there for the kids who aren't ready to go to their parents to tell them what they did last night. They're not quite sure that they want their parents to know, but they need somebody to know and they need somebody safe to talk to. If they've seen you here on a Sunday morning and they've interacted with you and with your family and they know that you're a safe place, they're going to need you. When I was eight years old, my older brother was in a car accident. And I remember um, we got a call from one of his friends with vague and scattered details about what had happened. And I remember my dad running out the door. He was going to the scene. He was going to find out what happened. Um, He wasn't waiting for another phone call. And shortly after he left, a family friend came to get my mom. They were going to drive her to the hospital so that she could be there when my brother arrived. And in those chaotic few hours of not having my parents around and knowing that something happened, but I wasn't sure what, I remember aunts and family coming in um, to stay with us. There were a bunch of people in and out in those hours. But the person that sticks out most vividly in my mind is Lois Reed. Lois was my best friend Rachel's mom. She was also one of my mom's best friends and one of our neighbors. Throughout the years, she had taken me to Awana on Wednesday nights, where she was also our group leader. Uh, She had invited my mom and I to attend worship concerts with her family. She attended Bible studies held at our house and took turns holding them at her house as well. Uh, But on this day, Lois did something I'll never forget. And a lot of things are blurry from that time in my life. Um, But I remember her taking me aside to the foot of my bed and asking if she could pray for me. Neither of us knew what the outcome of that situation would be. um, But I remember feeling a peace in that moment where I shouldn't have. It's almost like I, I remember blurry everything going on. But I remember so clearly Lois sitting and praying with me that God would be with me and with my family. Later that night, my sisters and I were reunited with my parents, and we were told that my brother had died in that car accident. But in the weeks and the months and the years to come, Lois was there. She brought meals. She brought toilet paper. She brought prayers and hugs and support, and she was there for my family when we needed her the most, when we needed somebody to be solid and to remind us of who God is and the promises that he's made, she was there. And even after Rachel and I kind of fell apart, we weren't best friends all the way through high school. Lois was there. She was cheering me on. Anytime I saw her, she was there with the hug and the support and how are you? And I'm so proud of you. Um, And I look at people in this room who have loved me and have loved my kids like we're your own. Um, Some of you are parents in the trenches with me 
you know, meeting up at park dates and we commiserate over potty training woes or sleepless nights or picky eaters. How do you get your kid to eat that? Mine will only eat macaroni. Um, some of you uh, have already raised your babies and have been so encouraging um, for me in raising my own, providing encouragement on the days when I don't feel like I'm doing anything right, when I don't feel like I'm getting it right. Um, some of you don't have children yet, or you're single, or you're single again, um, and my kids think the absolute world of you. I think of um, Mr. Mike and Miss Kelly and Miss Cynthia and Miss Courtney and so many more of you who actively seek out our Hope Culture kids on a weekly basis, uh, who encourage them even when you're not serving on that Sunday, who spend time with them and run around and get sweaty with them on the park. Our kids remember that. That is important to them, and I'm so grateful that they have such incredible men and women to model their walks with God after. There is no greater gift that we can give our children than the opportunity to know Christ and accept him as their savior. In just a moment, we're going to dedicate some babies to the Lord. Um, You're going to have the opportunity to respond in support of the parents who have chosen to raise up the next generation to know and follow God. You'll get the opportunity to be that village that they need, to be there in the days and the years to come, cheering them on in, God's, or in their pursuit of God's best for their lives. But how can we be about it on a daily basis? These are just a few things that we can do, um, especially if you don't have kids, just to be about it as an example for them. Um, But number one is to be at church. And Pastor Dan and Abigail didn't ask me to say this. But I think it's so important, having experienced it for myself, is for you to be at church and to make Sunday mornings a non-negotiable. This should not be the only time you connect with God throughout the week, but it re-centers us and refocuses us and brings us around people who are here to encourage us and to hold us accountable. Put it on your calendars in Sharpie. And if you're purely digital, put it as a recurring event in your phone. Hope Culture Church, 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Every week. Be here. Be, number two is be on the front lines. Pay attention to decisions being made in our community, in our city, in our nation that affect our kids. Make your voice heard in support of the, genera- the next generation, whether it affects you directly or not. If Jesus cared about them, so should we. Number three is be a Lois. Show up like Lois did for my life. Bring a meal where the ba- or when the baby is born or send the DoorDash gift card or drop by the DoorDash gift card if cooking's not your thing. Um, go to the funeral to support our, our community uh, when a loved one dies. Offer the parents you know a night of babysitting so they can go out for a date night. Uh, volunteer and Hope Culture Kids. Come hang out with our kids on Sunday mornings and be that direct point of contact in their lives. Um, And number four is just be about it. Walk the walk, follow through on your promises, and walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has placed on us as believers. Be about it. There may be some of you in the room who have never made the decision to follow Christ for yourself, Maybe you hear me talking about raising up the next generation of believers and you're sitting there wishing that someone would have made it a priority to get you to church on Sunday. 
Maybe you wish that you had someone to set an example of what it looks like to walk with God or to encourage you and who God says that you are. And if that's you today and you didn't have that in your life, um, I have great news for you is that it's not too late. God sent his one and only son to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death, taking on all the sin that we had committed that we would ever commit and atoning um, for that sin that we may commit our lives to him and move forward with him in freedom. He wants you to live the rest of your days knowing him as your Lord and Savior and accepting him. Um, His invitation is as simple as the ABCs. I know Pastor Abigail talked about it a couple weeks ago, but these are the words that we use for our first through fifth graders and Hope Culture kids. Um, A is admit that you've done wrong and ask God to forgive you for disobeying him. B, believe that God sent Jesus to take the punishment for your sin and trust that you're forgiven because Jesus made you right with God. And C is choose to spend your whole life depending on God's power to help you say no to sin. And when we say it, we say, help you say no to sin. (laughs) And if you're wanting to make that choice today, um, it's the best choice that you could make. It's your next step in being able to lead and raise up the next generation to know him is just knowing him for yourself. Um, And if that's you today, would you pray with me? And would everyone in the room just pray along with anyone making that choice for the first time? God, we know that we've done wrong. We admit that we've sinned, that we've not lived up to your expectation, to your standard of righteousness, but God, that we believe that you sent Jesus to fix it all. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died that death for us, that he died in our place so that we could be in right standing and have relationship with you. God, we choose today to make you the Lord of our lives, to follow you and to follow your ways in all that we do. God, we choose to submit to your will. We choose to follow you so that we can lead the next generation in following you as well. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a few, few things I just want to remind us um, in raising up the next generation. One is that God cares about generations. When he sent Jesus into this world to grow up in the generation of that day, he set an example of how to live in the world and not of it. He planned for us and knew us before we were ever even a blip on the radar. Um, he knows every single hair on every single head of every single generation that has come and that will come after us. The first way that we can raise up the next generation is to talk about it. Can you continue to point them back to who God is and what he's done for you and what he will do for them if they choose to commit their days and their ways to him? And the second way is just to be about it. The generation following yours is depending on you to walk in that manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. They need to see men and women of God walking the walk, doing the things that they've said that they would do, and being faithful to what God has commanded them. Be about it. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com. We hope you have a great week.